welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Exodus 20 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. Exodus 20. I've got a confession to make. I have a hard time picking presidents. Now, before you guys get all over me, because I know everybody has a political preference in here, here's my theory on presidents. In order to want to be a president, you've got to be insane. It is the hardest job in the world. It should not come with any benefits. You're either power hungry or you're crazy. That's the only two reasons I can think of you might want to be the president. It's it's the most stressful job in the world. And so when we get to the primaries and we're talking about who may run for president for this party or for that party, I look at all of them and go, I don't want any of y'all because y'all want this job. And you can see the effects of the presidency on presidents. You can see how it changes them and affects them. They tend to age just a little bit more. Think about it. You live your entire life for four to eight years making decisions that millions of other lives rest on. Can you imagine the stress? Can you imagine what that would do to you? I've got some pictures coming up. This is, this is Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln served as president for just a little more than four years. If the picture on the left is Abraham Lincoln before his presidency. The picture on the left is Abraham Lincoln towards the end of his presidency. Now, I know over any given period of time that people age, but I think he... He aged a little quickly there, didn't he? You can see, if you just look at his eyes, his eyes are tired, there are bags under it, there's all kinds of wrinkles that weren't there. Poor Abe, he even forgot how to comb his hair. I don't, he just, he, he was so stressed out. You realize Abraham Lincoln was the president through the Civil War, and, and he had a really hard time being the leader of this country through that time of division. Another picture coming up here. This is good old George... W. Bush. Now, you can see it a little bit in him, not quite as much as you can some of the others. You see him on the right there, I'm sorry, on the left there before his presidency and then on the right after his presidency. And once again, just look at his eyes. Doesn't he look tired and wore out and stressed out and worried, even though he's still got that, that George W. smile on him? Uh, next one, President Obama coming up here. President Obama at uh, the beginning of his presidency and the President Obama in the same stance at the end of his presidency. Look at him. Look at his hair color. And once again, I know that, that we age over time, but over eight years, this man went from having no gray hair to all gray hair. Look at the expression on his face. He's, he's, he's tired, isn't he? And I was looking through these pictures, these before and after pictures of presidents this week, and I, I stumbled on one that didn't quite fit. Next one, please, R.B. Ronald Reagan does not age. This man, look at him. He looks just as happy after his presidency as he did before. I don't, I don't know how you do that. How do all these other presidents age and Ronald Reagan comes out looking better than he did before? I don't know how that... I'll point at this one. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. I, I did some study on the different presidents and on the demands on their time. And what you find about the presidents is they're not very good at resting and relaxing. Most presidents work on four to five hours of sleep a night. If that, that's on a good night. Go back to President Obama for just a second, RB, if you don't care. So President Obama here, uh, we have a lot of access to his life. He allowed reporters to follow him around when he first became president. He's got some books about his time as presidency. And what you find out if you study Obama's sleep patterns is that President Obama did not like to sleep. He felt like the demands on his time through the day were so strenuous that he was most effective at nighttime. President Obama stayed up every night of his presidency until at least one or two o'clock on the morning. And then he would get up at six 
six or seven, the next or six or seven that same morning, only getting a few hours of sleep. That is the best case scenario, and you can see that it starts to weigh down on him with with no sleep, no rest. You can see the effects not on just him, but on his body, on his hair color, and everything else. Back to Ronald Reagan here, who does not age. What's the difference? Ronald Reagan liked to take naps. Ronald Reagan was once quoted as saying, actually on his inauguration day, he said, I hope to set a record for the earliest president in bed on my inauguration day. See, Ronald Reagan knew something that the rest of the presidents didn't. Even though he slept more, even though he had to pull himself away from whatever stressful situation he was in, he knew the value of rest. And when God created this world, God created this world where we went through a cycle of needing rest. I see some of you out there need some rest this morning. You're doing that thing where you sleep on me, and that's okay. I love you anyway. But, but some of us need rest right now. We all need rest every night, and God created a cycle where we went to rest every seven days. We're in a series called Written in Stone, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments. And, and today I want to dig deep into commandment number four, where God accounted for our need for rest. If you've got your Bible with you, we're in Exodus 20. This is verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor their maidservant, nor their cattle, nor the stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So as we look at this, this is another one. You guys are sitting in church today and you think, I've got my Sabbath down. I understand what this is about. Can we move on to the next commandment? But if we really start to dig into this, I wonder even as Christians, even as people that have probably studied the Ten Commandments multiple times, even as Christians, do we really quite understand this? Have you ever thought about the the fourth commandment having two different parts? It has two parts to this command. Well, what does he say? He says, remember the Sabbath, and then he defines what it means to remember the Sabbath. It says, six days shall you work, and then you have one day of rest, one Sabbath. This is a weekly cycle, and for today, we're going to call this the cycle of seven. And this is countercultural no matter what time period you're talking about. This, this design is designed to show the human dignity of all. It's a radical concept. In this cycle of seven, God says on the seventh day, you should rest. And then he says, but on the seventh day, the people who work for you should rest. The people who are your servants, the people who are staying at your house. It is a day of rest for everybody. And that's not how our culture works, right? Our culture says, I have servants. I have people that work for me for what purpose? So that they work and then I get to rest. But God said that this rest is for everybody. That tells me that it is a crucial aspect of human dignity. Now, even the cycle that God came up with is, is contrary to our culture, isn't it? Well, what do we do? How, do? how do we honestly view life? When you're young, you work as hard as you can and as much as you can. You build up all the things you need. You buy a house, you buy vehicles, you put bunny back for retirement. For what reason? For when you're old, so that you can retire and not have to work anymore. So that you can live in a life of luxury and do things that you enjoy. And this is the cultural cycle that we have. Get ahead at first, the first half or the first two-thirds of your life, and then live in luxury, whatever the remainder of that is. In our culture, it says the ultimate goal is to do what? To escape work. That's, That's what our lives are around, is if I work really hard now, 
I get to retire very soon. Now, some of you are freshly retired. Some of you are about to retire. Some of you were talking about retirement in the foyer, and I thought, God is fixing to get them, right? No, I'm kidding. But this, this is what our culture tells us, that our ultimate goal is to escape work, and that is not the biblical plan. The biblical plan is not for us to figure out how to escape work into the future. Look at how God put this cycle that we would work for six days and have a day of rest, and that was a weekly cycle. Now, the root of this concept that escaping work is the ultimate goal comes from the root of how we understand what work is. We understand work as a punishment. How many of you wake up on Mondays and go, Ugh, I've got to go to work again. I really enjoyed the weekend. Why do I have to do this? And all you can think about is I can't wait until five o'clock when I get off work. I can't wait until I'm done with this. I can't wait till the weekend. And we live our life going, I've got to get to the moment of luxury instead of work. But that's not the way God designed it. See, what we've told ourselves is that work is a punishment and that it is part of the lost, uh, a part of the fallen part of our world. That because Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, now we spend the rest of our lives going to work. They had it so good. All they had to do was lay around that garden all day. All they had to do is, is live in a life of luxury and they, they send it away. Isn't that what we tell ourselves? Did you know that God gave Adam a job before he created Eve? Work was established before the fall of man. God had a task for Adam where he pulled all the animals to him. And instead of allowing Adam to sit in luxury, God pulled the animals to Adam and said, here is your task, here is your job, here is your work, name these animals. That is pre-fall, that is pre-sin, that is pre-woman. Okay? So it is very important for us to think about this as not some kind of a punishment that we have to go through, but as something that God designed in the world, especially when it comes to God-given tasks. And we like to focus on the second part of the equation. We like to focus on who is getting their day of rest and who is not getting their day of rest. We like to focus on needing our day of rest. We like to focus on a day of worship. But the truth is, God designed a six to one ratio. This is our first take home truth, is that God designed us to work. And we don't like that. We don't like that God designed us to work. We feel like it's a punishment. We want luxury all the time. But here's the truth, is that luxury, relaxation, and rest is only effective if it is counterbalanced with something that is not luxury or rest. That's, that's how God counterbalances this. So that day of rest comes after days of work. Now, I want to be clear because I know I've got a building full of retired people. I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you, you need to go back to work in order for God to love you. That's, that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is not anti-retirement. The point of the message is that if you, if you are here, if you're breathing, your work is not done. See, some of us are blessed with this financial security and, and this, this blessing of free time. And that doesn't mean that we're blessed to live in luxury all the time. What that means is that you're blessed to do a different kind of work than you've done in the past. You may not have to, you may not be in a situation where you have to go back to that place that you worked for 20 or 30 or 40 years out to take care of yourself. But now you're not working for you. If you're in that situation where you have that financial security, God still has tasks for you. God still has jobs for you. God still has work for you in his service, not in your own, not in taking care of yourself. See, when we get to this point of retirement, we're going to do one of three things. And you guys tell me if I'm wrong because I'm a long way from retiring, but you guys can probably vouch for this. Number one is we're going to spend our life trying to figure out how to make more money. 
we've reached retirement, we have everything that we need, but now we're going to figure out another job, a second job, a retirement job. I'm going to keep working and serving and getting money that I don't need. That's one way that people go about this. Other people get to retirement and they say, I'm going to live my life in luxury. I'm going to go buy all the things that I want. I'm going to do all the things I've never been able to afford to do. And I'm just going to rest and relax for the rest of my days, whether that's 5, 10, 20, 30, or 40 years after I retire. I'm just going to rest and relax. But what if that's not the point? What if being a follower of God means that the point is a little bit deeper? What if there's a a third option? What if the third option is that your work is no longer about you? It's about accomplishing a God-given task, like Adam. What if his design wasn't that you quit and sit on the couch? Or that you quit and do things that you want to do? What if his design is you still get your days of rest, but you have the opportunity to serve him like you've never served him before? because you never had the time. What if God wants more for us than sitting around thinking that we're free from work? What if God wants us to think that we're free to do a different work? See, what I see in this is that God designed us to do things and we have these opportunities to serve Him when we don't have to take care of ourselves. The, the second part of this is that day of rest. This is the one that we like to focus on the most, correct? We, we like to focus on that seventh day. And, and for us, we consider this our seventh day. We consider this our day of rest, our Sabbath. And we wor- hear that word Sabbath like it's some kind of a special word, that this, this particular word means something special. But this word Sabbath is just derived from the Hebrew word that literally means to cease work. And so our Sabbath is just a day that is abnormal. It's out of the routine. It's changed in some way. That's all it means is that we don't work. And there's an example for that, or I'm sorry, a reason for that. If you look at the example that the Bible uses here, it points us back to creation. And in this creation, God designed this cycle of seven. For six days, you can go back and and count them if you want to. This is in Genesis 1. For six days, God worked. God had tasks. God built the world. God built the animals. God built the seas. God built day and night. God built you and me for six days. And then on the seventh day, on the seventh day, he chose to rest. And I say this, if it's good enough for God, it's probably good enough for us. Because I think most of us are maybe the opposite of not wanting to work. I think most people in America, we want to work too much. We, we don't really want a day of rest because it gets away in the way of our progress, of the things that we're getting done, of the money that we're making, of the life that we're building for ourselves. But God put this day of rest in here as an example to us of what he would have us do. I mean, I ask this question, why did God rest? We tend to rest when we're tired, right? When we're bored, we're just going to lay on the couch. When our favorite TV shows are on, that's, that's when we get to rest. But, but God doesn't get tired. He's God. He wasn't so wore out. I was like, man, I could really use a nap. God has never said that. Well, Jesus said that. God in heaven has never said that. Why, why did God rest if he didn't need it? When God establishes this world, he chooses to establish cycles. Think about how our world works. Not, not me and you. Think about how our entire world works. The parts of it that God created. Everything goes in a cycle. Every day the sun comes up, every day the moon goes down. The tides roll in and out. The seasons come in and out. If you're in Arkansas, we don't have four, we have two. We have super winter and super summer. That's all we get. 
Like, that's, that's the way God created the world. The moon phases, the way the earth orbits around the sun and the way the moon orbits around the earth. Everything goes in a cycle and he created these cycles for his good pleasure. And one of the cycles he created is the cycle of seven. The cycle that is put forth in this commandment and the cycle that he created at creation. And seven is an important number in the Bible. It's very important. If you look in your Bible and you go looking for every reference to seven or every time a derivative of seven is used, you will find it, guess what, 700 times in your Bible. 700 times is there a reference to seven somewhere in the Bible. You can find it in the New Testament. If you look at Jesus, Jesus said, I am, and he defined himself as God in seven statements. When Jesus hung on the cross, he had seven things that were recorded that he said recorded in our Bible. If you really want to go looking for seven, go looking for seven in the book of Revelation. You will find it everywhere. There's seven years of tribulation, seven church eras, seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven everything. It's also in the Old Testament in the way that God designed the world. He gives them instructions. On the seventh year, let your fields lay fallow. That means don't plant things in them. Let them just grow whatever they grow. Restore the soil. If you continue to look in the Old Testament, you'll find what we're talking about today. The two things, the creation and the seven-day week that is in uh, in our fourth commandment. You'll also find something that is the year of Jubilee. And after seven cycles of seven years, God commanded a year of jubilee for Israel. And what that means is that in Israel, for the Israelites, all things were restored and renewed. If you had a servant, you were to release them from service. If you had bought land from somebody, you gave it back to the person that you bought for. All going in cycles of seven. As a matter of fact, seven is ingrained in you and me. Study any major psychologist that tries to define the emotional and mental growth of children. Guess what they go in? They go in seven-year cycles. Scientists will tell you that your cells completely reproduce and replace themselves every seven years. You are a different person now, literally, than you were seven years ago. In the French Revolution, they decided they didn't want a seven-day or seven day week. So what they did is they tried to replace the seven-day week. They made a 10-day week. And they couldn't get it to catch on. You know why? Because seven is ingrained in us. So why is seven put everywhere? Why why is it that God puts these cycles of seven in our bodies, in our minds, and in our Bibles? God, God put this in our world to glorify himself. Because see, seven, seven represents the number of completion, the number of perfection. And so anytime we see the number seven, it is a reminder to us, it is God's signature on this world that reminds of us his completeness and his perfection. Our second take-home truth is this, is that God ingrained cycles of seven into our world to remind us of him. So if seven equals completion, and if seven equals perfection, what does anything less than seven represent? Anything less than seven represents incompleteness and imperfection. And a lot of times in the Bible, we see incompleteness and uh, imperfection um, represented by the number six. So God in seven days created the world. In the first six days, he finished the world. Now he did not complete the world. He finished it. There's two different, two different words there yet. He finished the work of the world. But God designed this world to work in a cycle of seven. Therefore, we know that God planned that extra day of rest. He planned that day of rest at the end of it to be part of that cycle. Complete the work in six days. Plan the seventh day. 
And this is not an accident. If you look at creation, every day has a specific purpose. In the beginning or at the uh, first day, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And that day revolves around the creation of the heavens and the earth. If you look at day four, it revolves around the creation of the sun and moon. But if you look at day seven, what is the only thing mentioned in day seven? And on the seventh day, God rested. See, there's nothing competing on that day of perfection. There's nothing competing with God. The only thing God allows the seventh day to be associated with is himself. This, this picture of perfection and the completion of God. And if we're honest, we would have been okay if God had ended at six, right? Like six is the day that, that we would have said that it's complete. God has created the earth. God has created the animals. God has created day and night. God created the oceans. And then he created us on the sixth day. What else do you need? Here we are. We have food. We have luxury. We have a garden. We have a world to live in. And we have us. And we would think that that would be complete. But once again, the sixth day, number six, represents incompletion. And so I think God sends this message here. I think God sends us a message in the Sabbath day and in the seventh day cycle. Because how many of us tend to think that the world is built and perfected by our desires and wants? We tend to look at ourselves and say, I am all I need. And if I just had more of what I need, I would be complete. If I had more money or more relationships, more education, a bigger house, faster car, more friends, more influence, I would be complete. Just what I want and my desires. And this is why we're so tempted to work nonstop. We're so tempted to, to get the extra job, to make the extra money, to work that extra day, to get the extra overtime, to chase the promotions. Because what we tell ourselves is we can complete ourselves in and of ourselves. And the message that God sends with the creation and the seventh day of rest is that we will all be incomplete without him. See, we were created on the sixth day to remind us of our imperfection and our incompleteness. And God associated, associated himself with the seventh day to remind us of his perfection and his completeness. Our next take-home truth is this, is that our Sabbath is our time of reflection on God's perfection and our imperfection. What does it say? What does the command say? It says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the day of ceased work. Remember the day that there was no work. Remember the day that God completed. Remember the day of completion. And by contrast, by contrast, remember your own imperfection. As we come and we gather here today, we're at church. We, we have great Bible study. We have great fellowship. The point of this, I love y'all, the point of this is not to make you feel good. The point of us being here is not for us to say, I just love being at church so much. You know what the point of this is? This is a place where we come to remember our imperfection. And we come here to focus on the perfection of God. And once a week, God said, set aside a day to do this. Set aside a day that breaks the routine. This last week, we just celebrated Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is a day that our country has taken once a year once a year, and we set aside a day to remember the people who gave their lives for our country and the families who lost someone they loved protecting our country. That's what Memorial Day is for. And so every year we put this day out there for us to remember what it is. How do we remind ourselves of the people that have fallen? How do we remind ourselves of the people who gave the ultimate sacrifice? What do we do on Memorial Day? We cease work. 
And so a normal week, you wake up on Thursday and you go to work. You wake up on Friday, you go to work. You wake up on Saturday, you go to work. You wake up on Sunday, you go to church. And then you wake up on Monday, you go back to work. And that style repeats. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of May or at the end of May, you get a day where it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Oh, I don't have to work today. Our country chooses not to work on that day. And it's a way of us putting a reminder in our lives, putting a reminder in our lives of the ultimate sacrifice that people gave for us. How does God ask us to celebrate and remember the Sabbath? He asks it to be a day of rest, a day where we cease work, a day where we break the cycle, a day where we break the routine. That way, it will always remind us of Him. And we like to call this a day of rest. And we love day of rest. How many of you guys take Sunday afternoon naps? Any takers on that? I I see some hands. And they're all proud hands, too. They're like, that's me. That's my wife, too. She loves her Sunday afternoon nap. Like, like that's what we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to sit here and say there's anything wrong with that. It's a day of rest. And you need it. Your body needs it. Your mind needs it. But I, I wonder if maybe, maybe that God's purpose wasn't for us to just get rest, it was for that rest to be a renewal for us. I can tell you from personal experience, my wife, my wife will come home on Sunday afternoon and, and she is like superwoman all the time, taking care of me, taking care of the baby, taking care of all those kids in kindergarten. And on Sunday afternoon, when we get home from church, you can start to see her. The shoulders start to sag a little bit and she starts to talk a little slower and a little less. And and she is going to take, at some point, a really good nap that day. You can just see her need for it. And what she'll tell me on those weeks, and she'll tell me like Thursday of that week, is like, you know, I missed, I missed my Sunday afternoon nap, and it just it wears me out for the rest of the week if I don't get that moment of rest, if I don't get that, that moment of renewal. And I think what God has put in our day of rest is not a day to just be lazy and sit on the couch. This is a day of renewal. We need a renewal for our physical strength. Anybody who works out, anybody who goes to the gym, they will tell you, you cannot work out seven days a week. Your body needs time to renew itself and to rebuild, or you will not get stronger. You will not get healthier. We need that day of physical rest. But I think more than that, it's a renewal of our spiritual strength and our mindset. Because what the Sabbath says to us is that there is a day, there is a time that we set aside, and I say, God is my God that I cannot complete myself, that, that we are incomplete without him. And we change the routine for that particular matter. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you a story of Eric Liddell. You guys remember this, the Flying Scotsman. And he was a, a runner. He was at the 1924 Olympics. And he had this opportunity to win gold in the 100-meter sprint. You guys remember that story? Okay, good. Some of you do. I was wondering if you guys ever listened to me. And so he, he had this opportunity, but the problem was the race was run on Sunday. And Eric had this, he had this belief that Sunday was his day of renewal, that Sunday was a day that he set aside to remind him who God was. And so since his daily routine was to run and to practice and race, Sundays he would not allow himself to do that. And in his heart, his way of honoring God was to take a break from that routine. A day to remind himself that gold medals wouldn't complete him, being an Olympic champion wouldn't complete him, that only, only God completed him. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say you can't run on Sunday. Those are, those are traditions that have actually happened across the world for the Sabbath. If you look at Jewish traditions, to them, rest means not turning on a light switch on the Sabbath. Some very traditional sections of Jews will do that. 
to them it means not answering a phone call, not preparing food. Some people have said it is bad to tie knots on Sunday, so I'm going to start looking at your shoes as you walk out. If you tied a knot, you sinned against God because you can't, uh, you can't tie knots on the Sabbath. No riding or erasing on the Sabbath. No making a fire. This is a big one that baffles me. No putting out a fire on the Sabbath. You've got to wait till Monday morning to get your house out of fire. And these traditions have been prominent in Judaism for years. And in some degree, I think Christians get bogged down by these, these senseless rules that isn't what God meant. When Jesus walked this face of the earth, he did things on Sundays that nobody else would do. And the religious elite came to him and said, you can't do that on Sunday. You're not honoring the Sabbath. How dare you call yourself a rabbi? How dare yourself call you a teacher and you think you're God and you don't even know that you can't tie knots on the Sabbath or you can't pick food off trees to eat as you walk by? And Jesus challenged them back. This is what he said. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. I'm gonna say that again. I'm gonna repeat Jesus' word here. Listen to this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Two things that stand out about that to me. Number one is that the Sabbath is a day that we remember God. The Sabbath is a day that we honor God. Our day of rest, our day of break, our day that we cease work is a day of worship in a way for God. And yet Jesus, God himself, he didn't care about the arbitrary rules. He wasn't concerned with if you tied the knot this way or if you rested this much. He didn't care about any of that. And that tells me if Jesus didn't care about it, it's not important. What Jesus cared about is, do we glorify God? Do we take time in our normal cycle, in our normal week, that we set time aside that we use to glorify God by breaking our routine? That's what Jesus was concerned about. Not if our work was good enough or not good enough. And secondly, it teaches me this, is that the Sabbath is good for us. For some of us, it's really hard to be still. I was talking with a couple of ladies at work last week and, and they're best friends and they decided they can't vacation together anymore because one of them is like me and she goes on vacation and she's going to set a schedule. The alarm goes off. We're going to get up. We're going to do this. Then we're going to go eat here and then we're going to do that. And we're going to go till nine o'clock at night. That's my people right there. You go on vacation and you set a schedule and you enjoy it. And the other lady, she looked at me and she goes, Brian, I don't have to do that. I like myself. I can sit in a room and be still by myself. That doesn't bother me. I'll go on vacation and take a nap. And for some of us, we're much like that first example. It's hard for us to take time to say, I've got to quit worrying about this or quit working on that or quit doing that thing. And today is my day that I set aside for God. And because the Sabbath is good for us, because that rest is good for us, it tells me that we need this day of renewal. It's not just something God wanted us to do to make the world work better, but we need it. See, we are at our best as people, as human beings, not when we're physically rested and not when we're rich. We are at our best that we can be when we correctly understand our relationship with God. When we correctly understand that I am incomplete and that He is complete. When we correctly understand that He is God and I am not. And it may be hard for us to do it, but understand this that God wants us to have time set aside for us to focus on our incompleteness without Him. So our Sabbath points us to our need for God. The same need that the Gospel states. 
What does the gospel state? The gospel states that we are imperfect, that we are incomplete. It uses the words that we are sinners. And the gospel states that only with the perfection and the completeness of Jesus Christ, only then have we found a way to escape death. Only then have we found a way to escape our sin. This perfection and completeness that is offered through Jesus Christ. In Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4, it defines rest this way. It begins to talk about rest and Sabbath rest being found in Jesus. And we see a deeper picture of what the Sabbath teaches us here. We see that it's not just about having a day that we sit at home. And, and to be honest with you, it's not even about having a day that we sit in a church building. Why did God choose for us to remember him by ceasing work? Why work six days, but the seventh day is a day of rest and a day of ceasing work? It points to something bigger about our faith. It points to completeness not being found in work. It points to perfection not be found in how hard we work. And that is what every human tries to do. We work through our entire lives trying to impress people, trying to be good enough. We work through our lives trying to make God happy. But the rest that is defined in Jesus is defined as a rest from our works. That that we don't have to work anymore to please God that we don't have to work to make him happy, that we don't have to work to be complete and we don't have to chase goals that won't complete us. Live if you want to come up here. So what our Sabbath ultimately points us to is that our work is never enough, that, that we can never be perfect, that we can never be completed by what we do. We can only be completed by the perfection that is in Jesus Christ. So what I want to ask us today on our day of rest, on our day that we've set aside to break our routine, our day to work, I want to ask us is, do we really view this as our time for renewal of mind? And if not, maybe the symptom is this. Maybe the symptom is that you're doing this out of habit because you think it makes God happy. And you're still trying to work to make him happy instead of resting in the completed work and the perfection of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning to come put your faith and your trust in Him and to change that and rest in His completeness and His perfection.